Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Okay, tonight, the last key, the key of resting. The key of resting. We've got eight keys on this ring, and we've taken a while to get there. Believing, dying, I'm going to have to look, growing, trusting, releasing, experiencing, giving, and now resting. And I really do believe that resting sort of sums them all up. When you're resting, you're doing all these other things. It's not like you go through each one to get to this one. It, it, it's all a part of a surrendered heart. That's all it is. When you say yes to Christ and yes to his word. I remember when Stephen was growing up and he was wanting to learn how to swim. And he was so brave until he got to the water. And I'm out in the water. And I said, Stephen, just jump. And he'd back up instead of step forward. I said, trust me. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but he just kept backing up. Finally, I said, come on, Stephen. And he got up to the edge, and finally, he just bails out, and I catch him. And from then on, buddy, you couldn't keep him out of the water. It was like he had to make that leap. He had to make that step. He had to learn to cast himself upon the ability of somebody else. It's exactly what surrender is. And all of these things we've been talking about are just a little piece of it. It's, it's the same thing. So don't be misunderstood that these are levels you go through. It's just that we've backed off, dissected it, and looked at it this way so that we can better understand it. So remember the triangle. And it's the last time you get to see it. <laughs> My wonderful artist gift, the triangle. And here's God up here. Here's you. And here's your spouse right here. And the thing that you don't want to do is live for each other with expectations that are unreal. You can't do that. Marriage never works that way. You live this way, and you become the vessel God wants you to be. And then he begins to, to pull you closer and closer and closer as you, as you draw near to him and as you walk with him. And that's the way the marriage, that's the pillars. That's the foundation of it. Then you go to Ephesians 5, and you look at your instructions, and you know now you can't do that. In fact, in all the weddings that I do, and I started with this on our introductory night, I say, I do the vows, and then I make them agree to something. I say, now, do you realize everything you just said to each other, you cannot do apart from the enabling power of God working within your life. And it's like, I, I have to get their attention back to who it is that lives within them. The triangle, I use it at every wedding service I've ever done. And uh, that helps us better understand well tonight we're going to be looking at hebrews chapter four there's so many verses we could look at there's no way it's kind of like last time 
I, I can't look at them all because we'll just get bogged down. I'm just going to back off and look at verses 1 through 5 of Hebrews chapter 4. And um, by the way, Diane is coming tonight. She's, uh, she'll be here in just a little bit. When an alarm goes off, okay, it, uh, it, and it's ignored, all right, it can produce everything from that which is frustrating to that which is hilarious and funny to that which is devastating. Let me give you some examples of that. Have you ever set the alarm for a meeting you had the next day and you were out of town or someplace and you woke up and you were so tired in the middle of a dream, you just about shot the elk. The elk was stepping out into the field. And you reach over and you cut the alarm off and you wake up an hour later. Has that ever happened to anybody? And it is the most frustrating thing in the world. In fact, I have a nightmare. I really do. I don't have many nightmares. I, I'm always dreaming of shooting something. But I, I have a nightmare. And my nightmare is I wake up on Sunday morning at 11.15. <laughs> I have had it for years. I mean, 20-some years at least, 30 years. And I, it just goes through my mind. I set two clocks every Saturday night just to make sure <laughs> that I got a backup in case I oversleep. And, but I never have. I usually wake up before the clock goes off. But I, I've had this horrible thought. You've missed the first service, and they've already 15 minutes into the second one when you wake up. That's, that's, that, that's, the, that's a frustrating thing. Well, not only that, but they can be funny. When I was in college, <laughs> I set the clock but forgot to push the little button up. And I slept in that morning, cold, I reckon. I was up in the mountains of, uh, uh, actually, it, it, it was Mars Hill, North Carolina, up in the western part of it, and I was up in the mountain. And cold, and I, I got up, got my shower. I didn't see a soul. There wasn't anybody moving in the dorm. I didn't hear any noise. I'm thinking, this is really odd. I got dressed and went on down to the cafeteria to get breakfast, and there was nobody there. And all the tables had, been, had, had chairs sitting up on them. In other words, they'd already been taken down. I'm thinking, what is this? And I went out and I looked all over the campus and there wasn't a soul moving. Well, you know, when it's 20 degrees, not too many people were out running around, but usually you see somebody around. And I had the most overwhelming thought, the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured Murphy's Law, you know, if it can happen to anybody, it'll happen to me. <laughs> I think, Shoot, I missed it. <laughs> Everybody on campus is gone. <laughs> and what it was, I'd slept in about an hour or two late. It was just so cold, everybody was inside. But that can be fun. It can be devastating. If you, if you fail to pay attention to an alarm, you fail to respond to it. Uh, the plane up in northern, northeastern part of our country, country last year, remember, when uh, the alarm went off, they were landing, and they were coming on the glide path, but the alarm went off that they were going into a stall. And I read the article, and it said that you're supposed to push down on the, the, the steering thing to give it more speed so the engines can catch up because the wings go into a stall. That's what they said in the article anyway. But he didn't do that. He pulled back. And when he pulled back, I thought the engines went into a stall until somebody corrected me and said the wings didn't. So... However that happens. But anyway, whatever happened was it went straight, dropped like a rock and killed everybody. He didn't respond. The alarm went off, but he didn't respond. Whatever, however way he was supposed to respond, he didn't, and it was tragic. So you can go from frustrating to funny to devastating. But when an alarm goes off, we need to start paying attention to it. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is going to talk about. In the context of Hebrews, as we've been studying it for a long time in the church, but in the context of Hebrews, 
it was not popular to be a believer in Jesus Christ. A lot of persecution had begun, not severe, not as bad in some other places, but it has started. Second Peter, boy, it's really going on. It's going on. And so these Jewish believers that he was writing to uh, had, had understood that it's more popular to be a Jew than it was to be a Christian, and these are already believers. Now, the alarm went off when the author of Hebrews began to understand that they were about to defect. And they figured that to get the heat off of them, they'd go back and be a Jew for a while, temple still standing, go back and offer the sacrifices, and until the heat got off, and then they'd come back and say, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're really believers. We were just playing a game with you. He knew that they're not trusting Christ to enable them to take them through whatever they had to face was the epitome of what unbelief is. And what unbelief does, now remember this, where all of these things are fitted together. Unbelief robs you of the rest that you have in Christ. He knew that. The only thing that can give it to you is belief. The only thing that can take away from you is unbelief. When I choose to take matters into my own hands, when I choose to not trust God, look out. The rest flies right out the window that he has promised to each of us. Now, resting comes when we, and I'm, I'm going to go right back through the keys here. This, this, is, this is sort of the wrapping of all of this. Resting comes when we've said, we've, we die to self by saying yes to Christ. You realize that, don't you? You don't focus on the sin, you just focus on the Savior. And when you say yes to Him, you've just said no to your flesh. You don't have to worry about saying no to your flesh. Just say yes to Him because flesh and the Spirit don't, don't get along with each other. They're going to go two different ways. Uh, it, it's when you're willing to trust Christ no matter the circumstance. It's when you start growing in the Word and you start maturing in the Word of God. It's when you, you begin, begin to realize that you're releasing Christ as you do this. It's not like you try to. It's just as you live this way, Christ begins to manifest Himself, His character, through your life. Then you begin to experience His love, which is, by the way, remember, is the litmus test. If the love is not there, you're not experiencing Christ. That's what that is. That's the fruit of the Spirit is love. And each one that, word that follows that characterizes that love when you're giving and remember we showed you how giving is so important to a marriage because if if you're not giving i guarantee you there's greed somewhere and there's selfishness somewhere get all you can can all you get sit on the can poison the rest but when you're walking this way god just frees you from all that and grace giving is something that only he can produce in a person's life you can't guilt a person into it you can't uh, do it any other legislate it it's just going to be, be what god produces within your life. It's then that we begin to enter into a rest that we, do, we cannot understand until we're surrendered to Him. And we begin to realize that God can do what we cannot do. That's the whole premise of living grace, by the way. Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me but the resurrection power fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. And when you start experiencing that, which only comes by surrender, which involves all these things, but really, if, you did, if we didn't have all of them, just say surrender. <laughs> it would work. What happens is you begin to realize his, his living, his life in and through you. Now, to get the attention of his audience, he starts off in verse 1, and it's, it's, it's pretty strong. Uh, he reminds them, first of all, of their history, and we'll get into it in a moment. And he reminds them of Israel, their ancestors, and how Israel, when they came out of Egypt, did not want to obey God. They weren't going to trust God. Uh, they could trust Him to take them out of Egypt, which, by the way, is a picture of our salvation. Uh, he, they could trust Him to take them out of Egypt. 
but they wouldn't trust him to take them into Canaan. Isn't that amazing? It's like, oh yeah, I was saved 30 years ago. Well, what's God doing in your life right now? I was saved 30 years ago. I didn't ask you that. What's he doing in your life right now? I saved 30 years ago. Is in a revival. Is in a tent meeting. It was on the night of the such and such. And it was at this particular time that I received Jesus into my heart. Well, good. What's he doing in your life right now? They could trust him to take them out of Egypt. But they would not trust him to take them into Canaan. Now, Canaan, in, the, in chapter 4, of Hebrews is not heaven. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. Can't, if it's heaven, we're going to have a lot of battles in heaven. The first real battle they ever got into was in Canaan. Canaan was not heaven. Canaan was the place God wanted them to be, to where he wanted them to live and to dwell. But they would not trust God to take them. Canaan is, you know, God didn't promise us a land like Canaan, he promised us a life. But there's a beautiful parallel in this thing. Uh, all believers in the new covenant have the same problem that believers had. I mean, that unbelievers or, or whoever they were, they were believers in the Old Testament, in the, uh, under the old covenant. They had the same problem. Flesh is flesh no matter what covenant you put it under. No matter which side of the cross you put it on, flesh is flesh. Believers have the same tendency to say, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm going to take the bull by the horn myself as an unbeliever would have or somebody under the old covenant would have they have the same tendency i wish we could understand that flesh doesn't change it gets worse by the way ephesians says it's getting worse it's corrupting present tense it's getting worse every day god did not come into your life to to renew your flesh he came into your life to replace it paul said it's not me but it's christ doing what living in and through me. So the author of Hebrews began, he began his warning really back in chapter 2 when he says, Don't drift. Don't drift from the things that you've heard and understood and obeyed. Don't drift from it. In chapter 3, he says, Consider Jesus. In everything you do, before you do it, when you do it, I mean, before you do anything, you consider Jesus. And he warns them, he warns them, Don't you do what your flesh is telling you to do. Don't you defect and go back. To Judaism. He knew that if believers do not trust and obey God, there's no entering into the rest. It, we've, it's ours to, to enjoy, but there's no entering into it if we're not going to trust the Lord. So, same way we rested from the penalty of sin, it's the same way we rest from the power of sin. And just as Paul said in Colossians 2 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so do what? So walk you in Him. How did you receive Him? Desperate. I can't save myself. God, will you save me? And that's the way we come before him. He said, the same way you received him is the same way you walk in. So resting in Christ, uh, trusting him and his word. Now listen, is the same thing as being filled with the spirit, as bearing fruit, abiding in the vine, and walking in the light. I mean, any way you, anywhere you want to go, it's all the same thing. There is a resting that comes. When you, like Stephen, have cast yourself into the arms of the one whom you trust. And there are no plan B. It's, 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 it, there is no plan B. You're just totally trusting in the one into whom you've placed your trust. So the author of Hebrews tries to show the believers he is writing to just how serious unbelief is. And we're going to walk through those verses tonight. Because this really is the summation of everything we've talked about. Three things about entering into your rest that I want us to see tonight. First of all, unbelief 
is to be feared in a believer's life. Feared in a believer's life. Let's look at verse 1, Hebrews 4. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, let us fear should get everybody's attention immediately. Fear? Come on, man. We're not supposed to fear. Yes, we are. And the word fear is the word that means to be terrified at the very thought about it. Terrified. The imperative is used as a, it's a command. In other words, this is not an option. <laughs> He's saying, buddy, you better start watching out for each other. Watch out for yourself. But you start watching out and fear lest anyone not enter into his rest. Every one of us should be terrified. If we don't enter it, or if anybody we're close to, but particularly in our marriage, are we watching out for one another? Do you know how to read your spouse? Do you know how to read your spouse? I can try to fake it, but Dinah's lived with me for 41 years coming up in April. And she can read me like a book. And I'm trying to put that smile on my face like I'm really trusting God. And it puts a little chill up her spine because she knows he's faking it. He's not trusting God. Look at, look at how he acts. Look at what he says. And you start watching each other. You see, all of this starts at home. You begin to watch out for one another. You see, there, there are occasions where fear is not a bad thing. We think fear is a bad thing. No, it's not. Fear is a good thing. Uh, down in certain parts of our country, they have this snake, and they have this phrase, red on yellow kills a fellow. And, buddy, you better understand that because when you're down there, they, you just don't see them. They don't rattle like a rattlesnake. They, they're on you before you can realize, and they're very poisonous. So red on yellow kills a fellow. That ought to put some fear in your heart and make you a little more cautious as you walk. I'm afraid of putting my hand on an eye on a stove because I've seen what it can do. <laughs> I've done it. All right. You're, yeah, that ought to serve. Fear ought to serve you, not control you. But one of the good things about fear is fear, lest any one of you, he says, fails to enter into that rest. But we fear, we see, we fear all the wrong things. We fear the symptoms rather than the cause. We fear lack of income. We fear change of jobs. We fear the reaction that we have to it. But we don't fear unbelief. Unbelief causes a person not to walk in their rest. And that's what we need to be on the lookout for in our homes, in our marriages. This is where we encourage each other. This is where we can get with one another. This is where we can pray for each other. Be afraid. Be terrified lest anyone should, enter, should not enter their rest. Well, we fail to realize that, that the problem is simply refusing to trust God and His Word. Now, what are you talking about? Why not trusting God? Really? Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? And see, tomorrow's maybe, that's why Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Sufficient tomorrow's what? Evil thereof. There's enough coming. You've got enough to deal with today. Trust Him today. But make sure, because you've got tomorrow yet to deal. The victory of, of today never guarantees me the victory of tomorrow. The same choices I make today, I'm going to still have to make tomorrow. So every circumstance that comes your way, no matter what it is, that's what he's talking about. Be, be, let, this, let this be something that serves you. Watch out. Watch out when the income tax people let you know that you owe more than you ever thought you was going to owe. And it comes in the mail. Watch out when you're audited. Watch out because it, it's the very thing that's going to get your focus off of Christ. It's going to make you somehow grab the bull by the horns. And the first thing that's going dis to disappear in your life is the rest that he could have given to you.
when you just cast yourself upon him and trust him. We need to learn to watch out for one another, especially our spouse. That, first of all, that we don't fail to enter our rest. And secondly, that they don't fail to enter their rest. Okay, he says in verse 1, we should fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. The word remains is the word that means uh, to reserve something for somebody. When Richard McKay was coach of University of New Mexico, and he was a great friend, and I'd meet with him about every three weeks, and we'd study the scriptures together, and, and, I, and I really enjoyed the time that we had together. He would give me tickets <laughs> from time to time if, if, if they had them, and they were good seats. They were good seats. They weren't in the nosebleed section. And he would put them at the will call booth. All I had to do was walk up and give proof of identification, and he'd hand me an envelope that had a couple tickets in it, and I would take Stephen when Stephen worked on our staff here at Hoffmantown. They were there for me. Now, if I didn't show up, they were still there for me. Nobody else could get them. They're there for me. That's what the word remains is. It's, it's, it's already there for you. It's not, you don't have to go get it. You already have it. It's there. He said, if while a promise remains of entering into his rest. Our rest is as available as a will call booth. All I've got to learn to do is trust God. There's no plan B and there's no strings attached. But when I'm willing to cast myself upon him totally and trust him, what happens is I begin to discover what we've been talking about all along. There's just a rest. There's just a rest that God has for us. Roy Hessian wrote the Calvary Road, told me one day, he said, I went to talk to a preacher and this preacher, you would know if I told you who it was. And he said, he hadn't found his rest. <laughs> and I said, Bro, Brother Roy, that's a little judgmental, isn't it? How do you know he hadn't found his rest? He said, I asked him. <laughs> and he said, when I asked him, he said, no, I haven't. He said, my wife has, but I haven't yet learned to even enter into what I'm preaching. So listen, just because somebody looks like they're relaxed doesn't mean they're walking in their rest. Just because somebody can wear a different kind of face with a smile on it doesn't mean they're walking. What's going on the inside is churning and churning and churning. And the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the depression, all that garbage is, is all tied into this thing. If I'm not going to trust God, I can't rest. The rest is there. It's got my name on it. But I've got to learn that the only way I can get to it is by just simply surrendering to Christ and to his word to the next generation you know this was the generation that came out of Egypt that he uses as an example to them like your like your ancestors Israel and that's what he's been using all the time and to the next generation listen what he says in Joshua chapter 1 2 and 3 Moses my servant is dead now therefore arise he tells he tells Joshua and cross this Jordan you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them to the sons of Israel now listen Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've already given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. He changes tenses, I am giving, and then to I have given. But you say, what's the key to that whole thing? What is he talking about, the sole of your foot? If you use your hand, it's the bare part of your hand. But since he used the foot, it's your bare foot. Remember, there was a time in the desert, and there was a bush that was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And there was a voice that came out of it. Moses, <laughs> Moses, take off your, it would have said sandals back then, but shoes. Why? You are standing on what kind of ground? Holy ground. Every place at the sole of your footsteps. You think that's not important? 
What he's saying is every step you take, you take and surrender to me, and every step you take, you walk in the victory that's already yours, but only to the degree that you're willing to trust me. Did Joshua catch it? A little later on, what happened? He goes up to see the city that they're going to have to conquer, Jericho, and he's, he's looking at it going, good. And, I, and here comes the, the mighty art, the warrior, who's Christ in the Old Testament. And he says to him, whose side are you on? <laughs> if, he, if I would have asked him, he would have said theirs. I would have walked across the Jordan to get back. But he said, he said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. He said, no, take off your shoes. You see, if I'm not willing to take off my shoes and listen to what God has to say, because my mind's going to tell me a thousand different things. Have you ever been in that spot and something's going on and something has just come up and something is dis disturbing your spirit and, and all of a sudden it's like you're hearing these voices screaming at you? Don't go that way. Go this way. And there's a the struggle that goes on inside of your mind. And God says, you trust me, you trust me, and you stop trying to figure all this stuff out. You let me take you through this, and you just do what I tell you. Get your shoes off. That's to the next generation. Why would he tell them that? Because the one they're coming from had to die in the wilderness. That's why. Why? They failed to enter the place where God wanted them to dwell because they would not trust and believe and surrender to God. So the rest that he compares with Canaan in, in Hebrews it, it is, is simply... In our life, it's just the life that God says is already yours. It's yours. And, you know, and nobody can take it from you. It's just when you learn to surrender to him. To the degree that you're willing to trust me, God says, you can enjoy what I have to you, for you. It doesn't mean anybody can take it away from you. It just means you can choose not to walk in it. So the word for rest that he uses in Hebrews 4 is the word which refers to the act of ceasing from one's fleshly works. Oh, I wish we could get this. I've been preaching this for eight years. Every way I know how to preach it. And there's still some looks at me like a calf at a new gate. Every time I preach it. Well, what are you talking about, man? Look at chapter 4, verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself, just like God, also rested from his works as God did from his. Rested from his what? from his works therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest any one of you may seem to have come short of it wayne wayne are you listening to me get your hands off of that situation and trust me wayne trust me son just do what i tell you to do i've already given you the power to do it just trust me quit trying to solve it yourself now we're to watch out for the signs that starts in the home of a believer a spouse who's not doing that it's going to surface isn't it it's going to surface in a lot of ways i'm not going there because i don't want to get outside of what the word of god is trying to say but you fill in the blanks how would you fill in the blanks don't answer out loud <laughs> well how would you fill in the blanks when somebody's not trusting the lord in your family how would you fill it in well they're like this or well they're like that or well they're like this and i can see the spouse looking at the other one oh, but now look at yourself first what are you like when you fail to trust the lord so tonight i guess the question is as we we've been together now this is the eighth week have you entered your rest are you entering your rest 
What's going on in your life right now that's overwhelmed you to the point that's affected your relationship to each other? See, it doesn't, it's not like you can chalk it on a board. It's like it, it's every day. Look out. Look out. Be terrified if any of you fail to enter their rest. You say, well, Wayne, that's talking about salvation. Really? Stay with me. Secondly, to enter your rest, your hearing must be mixed with faith. <laughs> you can't just hear it. You're going to have to act on it. All right, now watch. Verse 2. For indeed, we have, we have had good news preached to us. Have we had good news preached to us? Just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Now that's that, that's that whole generation that came out of Egypt. Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. When God gives good news, the only way it ever profits you is when you surrender to it. And you see, faith is not a static thing. Faith is an active thing. Faith is something that, that moves upon it. It's, it's like belief. You, it's to, it doesn't mean just to be persuaded. It doesn't mean just to be convinced of something. It, mean, it means it to the point that you're willing to bow down and act upon that which you say you're persuaded of. That's, that's what faith is. Faith is not something that you can say, well, I got faith. Really? <laughs> what did uh, they say in James? Let me show you, by, by the way, that of his works. I'll show you my faith uh, by my works. He compares the good news that Joshua and Caleb had reported back. Remember when Joshua and Caleb, the 12 spies went over to check out the land and they came back. Ten of them said, oh man, they're huge. We can't handle these people. Oh, good night. And then Joshua and Caleb came over and said, good grief, we can eat them for lunch. Man, these, this is a piece of cake. God will give it to us. Now, who did they listen to, by the way? Obviously, they didn't listen to the good news. It wasn't mixed with faith. They heard the good news. It's a land over there flowing with milk and honey. Oh, it is gorgeous. And we can take it, Joshua and Caleb said. The other ten said, no, we can't either. We had a committee meeting. <coughs> you can tell I love committees. And we voted. majority said, don't go. And they listened. The problem was that Israel refused to receive it, the good news, by faith. It's got to, you've got to mix faith with the hearing, or the hearing doesn't do you a bit of good. It'll educate you, but it won't change you. They did not yield and obey to what God said. Therefore, it did not profit them. How much scripture do we know right now? Now, you think about it. How much scripture, me, you, all of us, how much scripture do we know that we're not living right now? I remember Diana said one time, she said, I'm not going to any more of these conferences. We was in a conference in Dallas. And I said, really? I'm thinking how unspiritual wives can be. And she said, I've got so much truth in my head right now that I'm not living. I don't think I want to put any more in. I'm thinking, whoa, good point. If you're not going to hear it mixed with faith, number one, you don't even know it. You just think you do. You've memorized it, maybe. That's all. But you don't really know it. It's got to be mixed with faith. For indeed, he says in verse 2, we have, preached, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word did not that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Now just think about the consequence of this. A whole generation, young and old, died in the wilderness. I mean, there's, there's a whole generation that died. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad thing. They all failed to enter the rest that God had already given to them because they would not trust him. Now, the trials are going to come. You know, we've been through this course now for a, a long time. The trials are coming. You know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
And so you can't determine it. You can't plan it. We saw in James way back when we talked about trusting with God, trusting God. So the key is make up your mind. It's like a resolve. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to trust you. When I hear the good news from your word, because whatever he says in his word, even the commandments were given for our good, for our good. When I hear the word, then I know it's good for me, and I'm going to respond to it mixed with faith. I'm going to, I'm, I know that you live within me to enable me to do it, but I'm going to respond by surrendering to you. God's word has got to be trusted. One of the things that, that it's overwhelming me, and as I go from place to place, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, is a lot of people don't want to talk about the word of God. They want to talk about everything but the word of God. Have you ever noticed that? You go out to eat with them or something, that the word of God never even comes up. And you begin to wonder after a while, how far have we come from dead center? Because the Word of God is what governs all of us, and it's good. And if we're not hearing it and mixing it with faith, we're missing out on everything that God says is already ours. It's at the will call booth, but we won't show up. I was hunting in uh, Louisiana. You knew before we closed this class I'd have to have something about hunting. And we were in the greasy bayou swamp, and it was greasy, and it was... It was a bayou and it was a swamp. And they said, you've got to take a compass wherever you go. Compass, are you kidding me? I've been in the woods my life. I can't get out of a mall, but I can get out of the woods. But I never hunted in a swamp before. You ever hunted in a swamp before? Everything in a swamp looks exactly alike. There's nothing that you can go by. Well, I saw that great big old oak tree over there. Okay, there's one there, but there's 42 over here. Which one am I talking about or whatever it is? When you get in a swamp, so they said, when you're going to have to do it. Well, okay. And then they said, now set it right now. Set it right now. So we had to set it on the, on the degrees and all where we were and to get back to where the car was. We had a Jeep parked there in the bushes. So we take off. I put the thing in my pocket. And I said, I'm going to show them. About three hours, I'm easing through the woods, easing through the swamp. And I've seen a lot of deer and nothing I wanted to shoot or anything like that. I just enjoyed watching them. All of a sudden, the sun starts going down. You know, it gets darker in a swamp quicker than it does anyplace else because it's so much overhead, and it's, it's just everywhere you look. And finally, I said, I better head back. Let's see. I'm not going to use this thing. I went, I'm going that way because I believe if, but that's where I came from. I started walking. I walked about 50 yards, and I ran into a creek. I hadn't seen a creek all day. I'm thinking, hmm, that's not quite right. So I went the other way, and I walked into the same creek. It just sort of wound through there. Everywhere I'd go, the stupid creek was there, and I hadn't seen a creek all day long, and it was getting darker and darker and darker, and finally I pulled that compass out. <laughs> I said, well, maybe I ought to use this, and I got lined up with it and started walking. I had my little pen light in my mouth walking with it, and literally, this is the truth, I fell over the hood of the Jeep after about walking for about 30 minutes, literally walked into it and fell over on the hood. It was kind of like, God said, there's an illustration here. There's an illustration here. There is a way that seems right, and it's going to come to you the moment you come into a next circumstance that you have to face. But that way leads to destruction. You better get back to the Word. It's the only thing that will hone you in on the will call booth so that you can rest no matter what you see. Faith is not sight. If you can see, why call it faith? It's based as you stand on what God's Word has to say. And when you start learning to do that, the rest just sort of sets in. And no, you can't explain it to anybody. They look at you like you're an idiot. Well, how come you're not doing this? I just don't sense that's what God's telling me. What? Who God is. They'll tell you everything, but you stand on what God's word says. The word heard 
is the word akoe, the things that you've heard, is the word that means to hear and understand. Israel's problem was not in what they heard, not in what they understood, but what they were not willing to obey that they had heard and understood. They, they thought they had a better way. And you know the story of the whole thing. They didn't go over. I love it when Joshua finally goes over and old Caleb's 85, what is it, what are you, 85 years old? Said, I want that mountain. I'm thinking, yes. I've only got about 18 years before I get there, so gave me a little hope. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They didn't benefit from the good news that Joshua and Caleb had brought to them. He says, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So the word faith there, the word peace, as we've already described, it's, it, it just means to be so fully persuaded that you can rest in the fact God said it, and that settles it. Heard about a preacher that went into a church that had a big sign that said, God said it, that settled, I believe it, that settles it. He said, that's wrong. He said, what do you mean? God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> it's already been settled. You need to come to that place that you're going to trust what God says. Now, in the same manner, <clears throat> when we know what he says, God, he said, in the same manner, we have heard good news. When we know what his word says in any given circumstance of our life, and listen, particularly marriage. <laughs> when you start looking and you begin to look, that's good news because it's always good for us. His word is good. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we choose not to surrender to it. <clears throat> but that part, you know, how many wives have fought that part about wives, submit yourself to your husband? <laughs> yeah, right, that redneck. <clears throat> and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And all of a sudden, we begin to say, I don't like that. God says, you better pay attention. Hear it, it's good news, but hear it mixed with faith. You're going to trust God to do through you. Whatever he demands from you, he lives within you to enable. Well, our marriage will not profit from all he says because we refuse to do what he says. That's, that's the only reason it doesn't profit. The triangle. If one, if one person in that whole thing is not living the way they're supposed to, then somehow it doesn't work the way that God's designed it. Now, will the person who's living that way be blessed? Absolutely. But will the marriage follow the design? No. Not until the two begin to walk that way. And then it begins to fulfill the design that God has. The truth about Christ living his life in and through us, <clears throat> which brings divine rest to our souls, is not something we, must we can possess. It's got to possess us. And listen, and I've said this all over the world, trying to get it across to myself. You only learn it as you live it. You only learn it as you live it. You can talk about it and get it in your mind and think it's a concept. It's not a concept. It's life. It's circumstance by circumstance by circumstance. We only learn it as we live it. So the key will be then, will you lay your agenda down before him and say, Lord, we're going to trust you. In our marriage, we're going to trust what your word says to us. We're going to trust you. Unbelief is to be feared. Watch out for each other. Watch out. The, the signs and the, and the symptoms of unbelief are, are, and you already know what they are in the other one. Look for them in yourself. Be terrified if somebody fails to enter the rest. Why? Because the design is not being carried out like God has for it. Hearing must be mixed with faith if you're going to enter your rest. But here's the final thing I want to share with you. This rest is only for those who believe. Isn't that interesting? Remember how we started this whole course? What was the first key? Believing. <laughs> it comes back full circle. 
If you've got an unbeliever in the marriage, it's not going to work the way God wants it to work. It'll work for you. You can walk in your rest. The will call booth has your name on it. But your marriage is not going to be fulfilled the way God wants it to be until both of you know him and can walk together in that. And that's what your prayer would be. God, I can't save my husband or I can't save my wife. You, but would you save her? But, but let me live it in front of her or him to the point that they look at me and don't see me, they see Jesus. And draw them through me to yourself. And you begin to live that way. You can rest. You can rest. You can make it through a very difficult marriage. You can make it. You can. And you can walk in the joy of the Lord. But I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is the design that he has for the marriage won't be what he wanted it to be. He'll get you through it. Boy, you'll walk through it with your head up. And you'll walk through it with joy because that's something that's yours. But what we're talking about is when both are living that way, what God really wants in the design of the marriage. It says in verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter their rest. He gives that example. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Oh, man. We who have believed speaks of those who have already trusted Christ and entered into their salvation. So he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. But that was only the beginning for us. The word believed is in the aorist tense. The aorist tense means completed action. We who have believed points back to a specific time. For instance, in John 1, 1, it, the Word was with God and was God. In the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Aorist tense. At a certain point in time, He became flesh. Same tense is used right here of the word believed. We who have already believed, these are the believers. We, we mixed what the good news we heard with faith and we trusted Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Belief is, is the way we began. But interestingly, though, it's the way we're supposed to continue. So belief, believers are not unfamiliar to belief. <laughs> it's part of us. But now watch this, watch this. We who have believed back here enter that rest. Now here's what you miss in the English. It's in the present tense. We continue to enter into that rest. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought we'd already entered into it. I'm trying to tell you something. Today you can walk in his rest. Tomorrow you may not. It all depends on your heart of hearing what God says and responding in faith. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not a once and for all thing. You, you've entered into the rest of salvation, yes, and one day the ultimate rest of when you're with Christ. But the rest in between here, th this particular period of time, depends upon your heart and your willingness to say yes to the good news that God will give to you. It's amazing how quickly we can step outside the rest and how quickly we can do that. Today we can have it. Tomorrow we don't. Any of you have ever been in and out of it like that besides me? <laughs> Boy, this is awesome. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. And all of a sudden, something hits you blindsided. You didn't expect it. You didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden, you're in the pit. Well, now, wait a minute. What happened? <laughs> and the word convicts you immediately. <laughs> you know what to do. <laughs> But we're all, hey, by the way, there's no finger pointing at anybody in this room. There's three of them looking right at me when I, when I say that because I'm as guilty as anybody. I can preach on Sunday morning and walk out of here just so full and so enriched and by 5 o'clock be back in the pit. I'm thinking, what in the world happened to that? It's not a matter you get it, now you have it. No, you continue to enter into the rest. Those of us who have believed back there, 
we continue to enter into that rest. And it's, and it's as life happens and it, it comes your way. Be real careful because when your focus gets off of him, that rest is going to fly right out the window. Anxiety will eat you alive. And everything else begins to just filter in immediately. Then he makes a comparison with Israel of old who did not. He said, just as I said. And he goes back to Israel. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. A whole generation died out because they wouldn't believe him. They didn't get to go into the place where God wanted them to dwell. They wouldn't believe God. With Joshua, he takes a brand new generation over. The next statement shows that that rest has always been there for us to trust in him and enjoy what only he can give. It's, it's the last part of verse 3 and verse 4. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, they're already done. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his what? Works. Now here's the interesting comparison here. Rest follows work. But the point is, what is the work that we do in order to enter the rest? Let me show you. John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. I love this. I love this. The disciples were really impressed with Jesus, and they really wanted to do what he did. <laughs> By the way, I heard somebody say recently that he says, you'll do greater works than these. And they think it's quality. No, it's quantity. Because when he was on this earth, he couldn't be. He was one place at one time. Now where does he live? He lives in us. He's all over the world. It's not quality. It's quantity. But there are those who think that they can beat raising somebody from the dead. Verse 28. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What shall we do to have a, the marriage you want us to have? What shall we do to have revival at Hoffmantown? What shall we do to reach Albuquerque for Jesus? And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you. Now get your notebooks out. This is the work of God. Oh, man, this is going to be good. Jesus has done it. We've watched him. What's he going to say? That you believe in him whom he has sent. And the word believe means believe and keep on believing. What's the word believe? Trust. What's the word trust? Faith. It's all the same thing. They're all synonymous. Keep on believing in me. What is he saying? You can't begin to do the work I do. But just keep on trusting me. And I'll do the work through you. That's the bottom line. And when you do that, what happens? Rest follows work. The only work he requires of us is to trust him. And what's the result? It's just resting in him. Everything spiritually is as it ought to be when we stop trying to do it ourselves. And learn to trust God to do it through us. So once again, Hebrews 4.10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. One day our rest will be perfect because it will be with him forever face to face. Then the author of Hebrews said, I don't know if you've got it yet or not. I'm going to take you back to that Israel that came out of Egypt. He says in verse 5, And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Isn't it amazing? The only thing that kept them from entering into the rest where God wanted them to dwell was that they heard the good news, but it wasn't mixed with faith. The hearing was not mixed with faith. They would not go on and act upon what God told them to do. So unbelief is to be feared. Watch out for each other. Watch out for yourself first. Watch out for each other. By the way, your spouse can tell you when you're not quicker than you can tell when you're not. So this, this, <laughs> this is a team effort here. Watch out. Be terrified that anyone would fail to enter their rest. 
But then remember that rest only comes when you hear what God has to say, the good news, and you mix it with faith. If you're not going to believe and act on it, it doesn't do you any good. And rest is only for those who are believers. Trusting <laughs> everything we've looked at for eight weeks now is resting. Well, I don't know if I'm there yet or not. Are you trusting? Yeah, I'm trusting. Well, you're there. <laughs> don't quit trying to make it look like something it's not. You've rested there. You're going to trust God to work out what you know you cannot do yourself. Well, look over Philippians with me, and I'll close with this example. I love this. I used it uh, this morning, but I want to share it with you tonight. In the midst of bad circumstances, Paul's in prison. And he's under house arrest, but you know the Romans couldn't be trusted as far as you can throw them because they could kill him the next day. And he says that in the, in the epistle. He knows. He doesn't know how, how long it's going to For me to live as Christ and to what? To die as what? To gain. He, he doesn't know daily what's going to happen to him. Epaphroditus took a gift from the church of Philippi to him and almost died. He got so sick. So Paul knows that they're very anxious. They're very anxious right now. They're not resting. <laughs> So he tells them what to do. First of all, he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And he puts it in a command form. <laughs> you rejoice, not, not in your circumstance, not in your ability to bear up under, but you rejoice, rejoice in what? In the Lord. And he says, again, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And he puts it in a command form. You don't have any option here. Now here they are anxious over Paul being in prison. They're anxious over Epaphroditus, sick. They're being persecuted. Now watch, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In other words, you can't right all the wrongs. This is where we get messed up. We're always trying to right all the wrongs. He said the Lord is near. He's coming, folks. He's coming. Don't worry. He'll right all the wrongs. So in the meantime, forbear with one another. The word forbear has the same attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, <laughs> who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. It's the humility. It's the patience with one another. Forbearing means when I have a problem with somebody, I'm not going to fight them. I'm not going to try to correct it. I'm going to bear up against them and hold them up until we can work out our differences. And Paul said, he says, let your gentle spirit, your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Let them see everywhere you go. You're not out to correct all the wrongs. You're out to, to be a vessel that God can use because he's near. He will correct all the wrongs when he comes. He didn't give us that responsibility. And then what do you do? He says, he'd be anxious for nothing. <laughs> How do you know when you're not resting? Anxious. Study that word, by the way. Just see what it means. It carries everything you can think of in it. It carries stress it carries everything it's wrong reaction stress is something all of us have to go through but it's how you respond to it, it, it it's it's all the things it's it's fear fears involved in this dread uh anticipating the future when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow isn't it amazing what we're anxious over hadn't even happened yet or it's already happened we can't do anything to change it be anxious for how much now nothing remember is a zero with the lid kicked off nothing but in everything, here's what your option is, by prayer. Prayer is the, is the word prosevki. It's an attitude. Be willing to bow and humble yourself before the God who spoke the stars into the universe. <laughs> You're a little speck down here. You think he can't handle your problem? He didn't lift a finger to create the universe. He just spoke it. <gasps> he breathed it, actually, is what it said in Psalm 33. 
and supplication. Supplication means any request you want to bring, you can bring to him. You go on and ask him. Ask him. The word request means to ask a little later on in the verse. He just means bring. But now that doesn't mean he's going to do it. You have such respect for him that whatever you bring to him, whether he does or doesn't do, that's all right because you trust in the one who you're talking to. Now look at this. With thanksgiving. You know, you can only live life forward, but you can only understand life backward. And if you can look back and be bitter about anything in your past and not trust God to have been working through that, then you've got a problem even in your prayer life. Make sure that the thanksgiving is there because of who he is. Let your request be made known to God. Now, what's the result? Here comes the rest in a different form. Look at here. He doesn't use the word rest, but look here. And the peace of God. Not peace with God. That's salvation. That's Romans 5. This is the peace of God. His own peace, which surpasses all comprehension. How do you explain to somebody when you're walking in rest? Distrust in God. Distrust in God. I'm saved and I know that. <laughs> Just living in the joy that God gives to you. Watch. It'll guard your what? Where's your emotions come from? And it'll guard your. What's the problem? As a man thinks, so is he. If you're going to get in the word and understand that God has something on the flip side, hinging on the unreasonable lies the unexpected. God has something on the flip side that will blow your mind. But we've got to come to that place. We're going to trust him, trust his word, cast ourselves upon it, no plan B, and say, God, you said it. That settles it. I'm just surrendered to you. By the way, God, I don't have any strings or time limits that we have here or no false expectations. I'm, I'm just standing on what you said. And something begins to overtake you that's unbelievable. It's just a rest that you enter into. So, Everything we've talked about in this course all to me somehow is summed up in that. <laughs> we could have started, we could have just done rest and quit, but it's been too, too much fun doing eight courses, you know, because it's all the same thing. Just learn to surrender to him. The same way you received him, believing. It's the same way you walk in him. You rested in the fact that he saved you. Anybody, anybody doubting that? Once you're saved, you know that you're saved. You rest in that. You know that one day he's coming for you. Rest in that. You know that. What about in between? <laughs> That's where we miss it, don't we? Same way. Rest in him. Stand on what he says. And then when you get to those passages that tell you what to do as a husband or a wife, they'll make more sense to you. And all of a sudden, he, he lives within you to enable you to be what you're supposed to be. Well, Diana snuck in the back there. Come on up. I have no idea. I've told you every week. It's kind of fun for me because I have no idea what Diana's going to share. So. Come on up. Let's see. Here we got the mic. Yeah. Thank you. That was good. That was a blessing, wasn't it? I, I've already been blessed. I, I flew in today from Phoenix, and we were. I was visiting my daughter, and um, I came in, and a couple of things that happened while I was there, not with Stephanie, not with Eric, not with the children, but. I've been going to a dentist over there because I had a tooth break almost two years ago while I was there. And, um, well, it, it chipped, and then I went to this guy, Stephanie, said, Mom, I'll take you to my dentist, and I went. And, um, and so while he was working on it, he was going to do a root canal. The tooth just crumbled. <clears throat> That's what happens when, when you get old. And um, so I had to, um, so he did a three-tooth bridge. And um, 
So that's broken twice. And he's a fine young man. He's not a believer, the dentist. And um, I, we had him, our daughter and son-in-law had him over for Thanksgiving a year ago. And um, Wayne got to meet him. And he was very dear. But <coughs> he's, the, the tooth situation is supposed to be you get it fixed. It with, it's warranted for five years. <clears throat> so he's fixed it twice, but now it's like, I think I'm a bother when I go in. So the last two times I've gone and made an appointment, you have to fly there. <clears throat> you have to buy your ticket with money, and that costs. And so I went there the last time, and he didn't do anything. And then this time, he said, well, he knew I was He told my daughter I was supposed to come this time and then one other time. <clears throat> Excuse me with my throat. And... Um, so anyway, I went yesterday, and he didn't do anything again. He said, well, when you come next time, I'll just um, take a little instrument and make that place where it broke smooth. And um, I walked out of there, and do you ever meet with people, and you think, am I crazy, <laughs> or, or are they? And he got a little defensive, and so I, <coughs> I went there, uh, woke up yesterday. Um, I was walking in my rest, and then afterwards, I wasn't because I, I was so confused. I, I told Stephanie, I was so glad my daughter was standing there. And I said, did you, did you understand what just happened? And she said, well, I don't know. And he, he sort of said, you know, this is not a big deal. You can, I told the little guy at the desk, I said, I need to know what's going to happen the next time I come. And I said, um, because I'm flying over here to do it. And he said, well, just a minute, let me go ask the dentist. So the dentist came out and he said, um, well, I don't want you flying back and forth. This is a simple procedure. He said, you can have it done anywhere. <laughs> and um, so it bothered me so much because I so try to be an example of Jesus Christ. And you know how that is. Doctor, you do that in your practice every day, I know. And you probably have folks that just don't appreciate that. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I didn't want to live in being a non-believer and my being a believer with him um, still being lost. And um, so it just bothered me, and it, it and, and I felt I, I felt hurt because I, and Wayne always says, you say you try so hard, and I do, I try so hard. But he's his like he walks in this, um, allow Christ to do it through you, and I and I know that, and um, and Wayne is a beautiful example to me in that. And um, he picked me up at the airport today, and Wayne has a, a beautiful thing in his life that he walks in peace. And he walks in calmness. And when I saw him today, it was just like calm came over me. And I would like to think that all of us as believers would have that effect on other people as we allow Christ to love people through us. So um, so I came in, and I, I appreciated that message tonight because it's like I just want to take a deep breath and just go, oh, God has it all taken care of. And I looked at my daughter, and I said, it's just a test. And this morning I left, and I said it was just a test. <laughs> the whole trip, the whole trip was just a test. So, um, so I wanted to say I wanted to, I was not planning on sharing that, but I, I wanted to tell you this. Um, and then I have two other things I want to tell you real quickly. When um, I had surgery several years ago, my children were young, and um, got home from the hospital, and I was in bed trying, uh, getting ready to recover and get my strength back, and it had snowed the night before, and my children and Wayne were thrilled, and they were going to go over to Precept Ministries, because it has a lot of hills there, and they were going to take their little sleds, and his big sled, and the children's little sled, and go and, uh, <clears throat> and, and uh, slide for a while, and my thought was, oh no, it's the gloves, the coat, the hat, 
hats, the extra socks, the, the wet clothes, the coats when they come home. And, and I was like, who, uh, how am I ever going to get the laundry done? So I told my daughter, she had her radio on on, a, on a, the Moody station, a Christian network. And, um, and, she, and I said, please turn that off before you leave because I'm going to go to sleep and I will hear that. So she, in her excitement, she forgot to do it. So I, anybody that's had surgery in here, you know what it's like right after surgery. You sort of roll out of bed and you walk bit over going down the hallway and I, I leaned over to turn her radio off and the lady was saying today we're going to be talking about practicing the presence of Jesus Christ and and I heard her say that as soon as I walked in the room and I turned the radio off and I said sorry lady it just doesn't work <laughs> oh, <clears throat> so you may have had moments like that like I have and um, I was thinking about that as I was sitting back there tonight. Um, you came in here for a class on marriage. And maybe you had high hopes because maybe you settled in to your marriage and, and things are just not as great as you once thought they were. And the night before I got married, Mom got upset with my dad and she said, um, she looked at me and she said, marriage isn't what you think it's going to be. <laughs> it's like, but I wanted to encourage you in this. Um, I was telling Wayne the other day, I said, we really could have called this class uh, Practical uh, Christian Living. And um, maybe, maybe you came in here and you were excited and thought that God was going to show you some mighty things. And I pray that he has. And I pray that um, you won't be discouraged. And I pray you don't walk out of here tonight saying, sorry, lady, it just doesn't work. Because it's Christ in us, it does. And like I was telling you, I didn't have a very good day yesterday. And Wayne picked me up at the airport, and I was kind of going on about that because I, I, I paid a lot of money to have that tooth uh, done, and um, thinking that it was going to be, you know, warranted for five years. Um, but God knew that before I ever went there. And it's like, what is money to Him? And I must enter into his rest and trust him in it. And sometimes, as I was sharing with you last week about the tax situation, I was thinking the other day, Wayne, Wayne always says, please, you cannot worry about that. You cannot fret over that. God will take care of it. And I, I was thinking, you know, down this way or further ahead of my life, God already knows when that will be paid. And in his mind, it's already taken care of. And so I must enter his rest and walk in that. And um, I thank you, darling, for all the times I don't. <laughs> and you love me just like I am, and I appreciate that. Well, real quickly, I know you're, you're ready to get out of here, but um, I wish we never had to leave you. You've been a delightful group of people, and we just adore you, and, and you have blessed us, and we've spoken of that so often. But... Um, Many years ago, I had been a believer for maybe three months, and I got saved in the spring of the year, and I, um, Wayne had taken Stephen to preschool. Uh, it was a little kindergarten group that was at the church where he served, and Stephanie was in first grade. And um, you know how you, when you've had children for a while at home, it's like, oh, right, I've got some time. I have three hours to do whatever I want to do. And um, I'd forgotten about that because after your children grow older, you forget about those days. But I had uh, had the intention that I wanted to learn to sew. And, and um, I'd sewed a little bit growing up. And I have some funny stories about that, but we don't have time to tell that, but um, talk about that. But anyway, I, I woke up one morning, and I had purchased um 
a pattern for a top and a pair of slacks. And um, so I was going to go get the fabric that day. And as I was in the bathroom doing my hair and finishing up my makeup, the, the impression came to my heart. And I believed, and I still believe that God spoke it to me. And these were the words that I heard. I want you to go and share Jesus Christ with your neighbor, Carolyn. And it was like, well, did God really say that? Or if I do, then I can't go get my fabric. And I wanted to sew tonight. <clears throat> and um, so I, I just wrestled with that for a moment. And I said, okay, Lord, if that's what you're saying to me, I will go. So I went to her home, and I was there for about 30 minutes. And, and I just shared with her how God had saved me and that he had given me, according to what the scriptures say, the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, I had been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And now, um, because I have been reconciled to God, then I wanted to tell her how she could be reconciled to God. So we talked, and she listened, and a little bit later, her husband came home for lunch. So I knew it was time <coughs> that was over. So I, I told her that I would pray for her, and um, two days later, there was an event at the church uh, for the children at the end of the school year. And I saw her as we were leaving, <coughs> and she walked by me, and I said, Carolyn, and she turned around and looked at me, and then she turned and walked away. And at that moment, I thought, Lord, maybe I missed you. Maybe you didn't tell me to go there after all. And I didn't know. Well, two years after that, in the spring, two years later, we had a young student come and stay in our home in Kentucky, where we had moved, and Wayne was pastoring there. And we had had this little gal in our home for about a week, and we were going to take her to the airport. And as we let her out in front where she could go inside to check in, she turned to me and she said, Oh, by the way, you remember that neighbor named Carolyn? She got saved two days ago. And she had talked with a friend and there had been a meeting at their church and someone had come in and she had been saved. And, and in that, all the wondering whether or not I was being, did I really hear from you, Lord? Did I not hear from you? Um, I needed to enter my rest because God did speak to me, but we may not always get the results that we think that we're going to. And it made me feel like, oh, Lord, I must have missed you on that. Maybe I thought I heard you. Maybe I didn't, but I did hear. And um, <clears throat> the verse says in the scriptures where um, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So God sent me to plant. And then I don't know who else ministered to her during that time, but um, others watered, but God brought her to himself as he called her to himself that very night. So that, um, I wanted to share that with you to be an encouragement to you, that however you go through your day, when your heart is, um, has a purpose to please him and to glorify him, he will use you wherever you go and as you go. And I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to come home of an evening as you've been out in your day and you can just say, oh, let me share with you what God said to me today or let me share with you how, how God uh, led me to this individual today. And you just never know. It may be an encouraging word. It may be by giving. It may be by putting your arm around someone. But God will, he will do that. And I believe in our marriage that God has used that in our lives as he shares with me how people um, are being changed here at church. And I don't know if you all sense it, but we do. We sense that God's spirit is moving mightily among us. And, um, and we're thrilled about it. And we're glad that you are a part of that. 
And then as I close um, tonight, I, I wanted to share this with you. Evelyn, you <coughs> have heard this before, but I'll share it again. Um, many years ago, and everything is many years ago, <laughs> because I've lived a long time, so everything is many, many, many years ago. Um, I, we were renting a home from a couple that was in our church in Mississippi, and they had to go away to Maine to live for a couple of years. So they said, why don't you rent it from us? Because we were in an apartment. And as I would look out um, my bathroom window, and I spoke on this once, and um, the title of it is The View from My Bathroom Window. The View from My Bathroom Window. And I would look out my bathroom window, and our children were very young, and they were, Stephen was crawling around in the bedroom while I was trying to get ready, and Stephanie had her toys, and she was playing. But every morning, I, at the same time, while I was in there trying to clean up for the day, I would look out my bathroom window, and there was this lady that was probably 42 to 45 coming out of her home, and I knew that she was a doctor's wife, and she would come out with her cute little tennis outfit on and her, her uh, tennis racket in her hand, in her lovely car that she drove. I didn't have a car. And, uh, and, I, and I just thought, oh, how nice it would be to be free like that and to be able to go play tennis and get in your own car and drive off and just have fun for the day. And um, so I often pondered that as I looked out my bathroom window. Well, many years passed, and I had a view from another bathroom window. And this window was um, uh, the view of a young lady, and she and her two children and her husband lived downstairs. We had a day basement. And after my dad died, mom moved into town. So, um, so this little family needed help, and we just said, we have the space. You just come until you get your, your financial situation taken care of, and you can live there. And um, so this view of my bathroom window, I would be in the bathroom and I could hear the door open. The window where I was upstairs was the door that would go out on the back porch. And um, I would see this young lady, and I was about 42, and she was about in her young 20s. And I would see her go out and she had long, thick, flowing hair and, and her little cute little sundress on that young women can wear. And nowadays, you, those of you that are my age, you know, you don't wear sundresses anymore. <laughs> And, um, and she had her two beautiful little children. One was in a stroller and one was walking beside her. And they were all coordinated. And they always were when they would go out. And I was standing there in my bathroom window. And I, would, I was looking at her and I'd think, oh, she's so young and beautiful. And she has her little children with her. What, how rewarding that is. And, and there I was in my 40s in my bathroom window. And God revealed to me one day, you know, you weren't content when you had your little children looking out the bathroom window at the lady that had the car and the nice tennis outfits and, the, and the, uh, the thing to go play tennis with and to be with her friends. And now you're not content. And you're the one that's 40 years old and you're looking at a young lady that's 20 years old with her little children. So what's up with you? And, um, and that's where God gave me the message, the view from my bathroom window. And, and I would just close as I say this, that um, thank you for the message tonight because it so blessed me. And isn't it so true? You may be in God's rest right now, all is well. But you may leave here tonight and you get a phone call from one of your children or, or you may go out in the world tomorrow and someone blasts you and you didn't even know that you had offended them. Where are you with the Lord? Are you walking in his rest tonight? And are you content where God has placed you? And I, I would just encourage you in this, that um, you might think, oh, if I could just get another job, if I could get out of this house, if I could move to another city, if I were married to somebody else, then my life would be better. It wouldn't be because you and myself 
I am the problem. And it's how we view God working in our lives and how we uh, receive what he is doing in our lives. So I leave you with that. And thank you for coming. And I do pray that you have received what God has wanted you to receive during this class. So Wayne, I give it to you. Well, Dinah always paints me to be the one that I'm the rascal in our family. But uh, it's been great to have this relationship. I hope somehow that you've been blessed in this. You haven't got one, two, three, four, five, and if you do this, this will happen. It's all about just surrendering to God. Let Him do what only He can do. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 